Welcome to the Be Kind Podcast with your host, Joe Kirkner, presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania. Hey everyone, this is Joe and joined by John and Tom with the Be Kind Podcast today, which is part of the Animal Advocates' mission to create a more compassionate world for all living creatures, whether they're United States citizens, Canadian citizens, Mexican citizens, or have citizenships in multiple countries, all animals should be loved, and we're doing our best to make sure they are loved. And as I mentioned, today we're joined by Tom from Faunalytics, and Faunalytics is an organization dedicated to conducting research and publishing studies about vegan-related topics and activism and just all-around very exciting animal and compassion-related initiatives. So we're honored to be joined by Another representative from Faunalytics, because we were originally joined by Dr. Joe a couple months ago now. Yeah, I guess it was about a couple months ago, yeah. wasn't it? Wow. <laughs> that was a really great experience, and they had a couple more amazing studies come out since then. And so Tom graciously agreed to come on and share his thoughts about both his own personal vegan experiences and also the studies in general. Hi, Tom. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Thank you for coming on. Um, before we jump into some of the nitty-gritty on the studies... Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your vegan journey, and how you started working for Faunalytics? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my background in terms of like academic stuff is that I have a, a master's degree in psychology from UBC, University of British Columbia in Canada. Um, I'm just finishing up my PhD at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada. And it was, it was really in my undergrad where I don't even remember, honestly, the title of the book, but I, I grabbed some, some cheap book at a used bookstore and just started reading it. And it was an argument in that that really sort of mostly started me on this journey. And it was a, a compassionate argument. They just said, well, you know, these are the conditions that, that animals live on, and how would you feel if that were you? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, that was sort of the, the light bulb moment that really sort of got me started on the path. And, you know, I was a, a kind of a bad vegetarian for a while. Um, this was before, you know, internet was super duper prevalent, and I didn't really know what I was doing super well. So struggled with getting a diet that worked for me for a while and all that kind of stuff. But I've settled in now, a uh, nice, nice vegan diet, um, and I'm really super glad to see how, how everything has progressed over the years and how many more resources are, how much more we know, how many more delicious food things are in the grocery aisle, all that kind of stuff is definitely positive and, and exciting. In terms of my, my uh, association with Phonolytics, I, uh, found a, we found a job posting for them on social media. And it seemed like a really great opportunity to mix some of the research skills that I have with with the cause that I care about, um, and so that was sort of the the start of my my connection with them and, and getting to do research on on animal welfare um, as it relates to advocates. So our job at Phonolytics is to support animal advocates by providing information to them that they can find useful in their advocacy efforts. So that's always sort of the goal of our studies is to sort of help them be more effective in what they're trying to do. Something I really appreciate about Faunalytics is you do have at the end of every web page or study or article a recommendation section because a lot of times I read something or I write something I ask myself, so what? Well, you have that at the very end where it's, well, based on this information, activists should do A, B, and C. So I think that's a really cool tool and that's why I keep pushing Faunalytics and 
asking you guys to come back on this website as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And it's it's something that you're honestly not really trained to do in academia. And so it is a, a different mindset to say after the study, well, so what? And to, to try and give people some, some guidance, right? Because everybody's doing the best they can, right? And everybody's approaching it from their own angle and trying to have the biggest effect they can. And so we really want to provide as many tools as we can as possible to, to help them in that. Loyal listeners may recall that a lot of my criticisms of some other type of animal, pro-animal or documentary style books or movies is that who really cares what kind of nest magpies make? I mean, what what does it matter? So what? <laughs> but when you right. do your studies, you do have that, well, based off, yeah, I already touched on it and we're going to talk more about some of the results from your studies and your recommendations in a moment, but I just always like to point out that it's not just knowledge for the sake of knowledge, it's knowledge for the sake of the animals. So thank you and everyone at Phonolytics again. I guess I'm bad with compliments, so you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, so it's good to know we're not alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and last question about you and your vegan journey, guacamole or hummus? I honestly didn't realize I had such strong opinions about this until, <laughs> until you asked the question. I was like, oh, I like them both. And I'm like, no, but if I had to choose, it's definitely guacamole. Like, hands down, like, it's so, like, melt in your mouth. And, like, it's the cooling counterpoint to so many, like, delicious, spicy things, right? So I just, if I had to pick only one, it would be guac all the way for sure. I'm team hummus. I, I, I love hummus. I love garlic. I love the variety of different kinds of hummuses out there. I love the different textures of some of them. I love the different toppings or even just the sweet and savory kinds of it. I love the versatility. And I, I, I love cilantro too is the thing. And you think that I mean I would like guacamole, but I, I just don't get it. You don't like it at all? I like it, but I'm not going to pay $2 oh. extra at uh, Chipotle <laughs> for it. Right, right. <laughs> I'm kind of on the fence about it. Like I, I love them both. I, I I see the pros and cons of both of them. So I don't I don't really know. Like I never really thought about it before. I I know like there's been discussions about it in our group and in a couple other groups. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like you said, with hummus, it's so versatile. There's so many ways you can do it, do things with it. But man, guacamole is so good. <laughs> <laughs> But now that everyone's wearing masks, you can have garlic hummus all the time. Right? Not have to worry about your uh, breath. It's great. <laughs> That's true. I did not factor that into my answer. So. <laughs> now I just dated this episode so people will know. Right. A year from now, people will say, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah. So let's jump right into this first study. This will probably be a two-parter episode, depending on how long it goes, to give us a little bit of breathing room too when we're putting these out. <laughs> Uh, the sure. first study is about a topic that's near and dear to many vegan activists' heart, which is farmed animal sanctuaries. So could you tell us a little bit about the study itself and why you decided to conduct it? Yeah, so it actually started out as a partner study, and we've worked with Farm Sanctuary for a few years, just helping them understand who's coming through and what their experiences are like um, at the Farm Sanctuary locations. Um, in 2019, it got expanded a bit and we added like in-person interviews to get a more in-depth look and we, we sort of changed some of the surveys so that we could get a sense of kind of where people were at when they were getting out of the cars in the parking lot and then when where they were at at the end of the tour after the full experience to try and see what changes happened over those, those hours while they're there and, and interacting with the animals. So 
we're really glad and lucky to be able to, to share it publicly because um, it started as a partner project. And we think that the results are really, um, really encouraging and supportive of the idea that, you know, a well-run farm sanctuary with the appropriate messaging along the way can have an important role in, in vegan advocacy. Sorry. Um, and it's not just like a fun day out at the farm kind of thing, but it can actually sort of help open people's eyes. So. Thought that was really cool to see in the study that was focusing on a specific farmed animal sanctuary, which is a lot of people view as the farm sanctuary, hence the name farm sanctuary. Yeah. And for those who may not be familiar with the organization, could you give a little details about their background and what they do? Yeah, so they've been around for, as you say, quite a number of years. Um, they have two main locations and they have over 10,000 people a year who actually show up um, and, and uh, like on the I believe that I believe it's ten thousand plus just on the the tours that we we ran the analyses on. There may be other like I know they have events and they have like a bed and breakfast where you can stay over and then go on the tour the next day. Um, so, yeah, really, uh, as you say, uh, an early and foundational approach to to sanctuaries where you know, you're providing farmed animals with a forever home and giving people an opportunity to come in and and meet the animals and, and hear their stories and learn more about realities on, on, on industrial farms, right? And in terms of the farms, animal sanctuaries, and your own personal opinions, even your teams, going into the study must have had your own thoughts and opinions on these essentially forms of activism. Could you tell us a little bit about those before you conducted the study? Yeah, I I know that they're one of the um, the forms of advocacy that sometimes are are viewed. You know, if you take an effective advocacy approach, where we're sort of trying to quantify everything, and you know, where's the best bang for your buck? Farm sanctuaries are kind of viewed as as low on that on that totem pole. My own personal experience with farm sanctuaries was just before even starting Faunalytics, and I just went to one with my partner um, just for a day out and to learn more and to, to meet the animals and that kind of stuff. So I didn't really have, you know, a strong opinion about about their efficacy or those kinds of things. It was more just that, you know, I'm a casual here on the weekend, you know, coming out to, to have the experience and to meet the animals and to do that thing. So I kind of got to experience that as a, as a tourist mostly before uh, before actually running the study. So. And then for the study, could you tell our listeners about your methodology and the results of it? Yeah, for sure. We did, uh, we did two main sort of branches of analyses, and one was uh, the survey that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so we had some people fill in a survey before, they did the tour and we had other people fill in survey with similar questions, some of the same questions and some slightly different questions after the, the tour. And then we said, okay, so, you know, it's not a perfect experimental design, but you can say that, you know, what else would have changed somebody's mind in the, in the two hours between getting into their car and, and wrapping up the survey. We think it's most likely those experiences that they had on the tour. Right. So, we ask people about things like their intention to change their diet, right? So do you intend to reduce or cut back on each of these animal product categories? Uh, do you tend to change your diet to, to vegan or vegetarian? We ask for, for perceptions of animals, um, sort of beliefs about, you know, whether they can, uh, whether they're suffering on factory farms, those kinds of things. And we found that there were really positive changes over the course of the tour. 
people's intentions to reduce their consumption of animal products went up. Uh, people's reported diets, we got in touch with them two months later and found that people's reported diets did change after being on the tour. What they wanted to reduce meat and animal product consumption more after the tour than before it. Um, and they actually reduced their consumption when we, when we checked in with them. It also had an impact on how people understand how their dietary choices affect animal suffering. Uh, so they more strongly understood the link between their, their, their diet and animal suffering. Um, the the post-tour group were, were more aware of that than people just as they were getting out of their cars. People also, when we talked to them, talked about you know, the, the shock and disgust about learning about how animals are treated on factory farms. So that was something in the other branch. Um, we actually had Joe, who is a friend of the show. Uh, she went to Farm Sanctuary in, in New York and, and interviewed people one-on-one -on -one just to get a sense of, of those sort of qualitative experiences that they had. And you know, just get to hear hear people as they're sort of mulling over this new information. There are a lot of vegetarians who go on the tour. There are a lot of vegans, like way overrepresented compared to a, a regular population sample. But there are people who come in just sort of off the street, if you will, who are you know looking for something to do in the area or who come just because it was important to their partner or to their, their sister or their, their son or daughter to go. And so to hear hear from them about what what they learned and and how it impacted them and so we we definitely heard people sort of saying wow you know i i didn't know and you know learning more i'm definitely going to try to make a change and those kinds of things and another theme for sort of the 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 activist type or the the long-term vegan type that we we heard a few times was people talking about it being a, a source of rejuvenation for them so you know, if you're a long-term advocate, it can can be a bit of a grind. It can be a bit difficult, and if you're you know thinking about that suffering and faced with it, it can it can wear you down a bit, right? But people were saying that the opportunity to come to the sanctuary and to have that really positive one-on-one experience with the animals was something that really brought them joy and you know, to editorialize, I don't think anybody used this word, but some lightness and some, you know, some refreshing experiences that, that they help sort of recenter them with where they're at and try to, to take positive steps. And, and you heard that from the reducitarians to the flexitarians where they're saying, you know, coming here is a way to sort of reorient in, in the middle of our busy lives when sometimes we slip up. It's just a way to to sort of go, okay, this is why we do what we do, and this is why we've been making the effort, and this is why it's worth making that effort. We also heard pretty overwhelmingly that, you know, if we asked what's the most memorable part of the tour, it was it was always the the experiences with the animals themselves, right? So sometimes it was, you know, a, a personal story about a cow, like a backstory about one particular animal, and sometimes it was, you know, a participant talking about how turkeys like getting massages and people saying, oh, I, I didn't realize because farmed animals are often sort of presented as, as dull and unintelligent and, you know, without personality. But, you know, then there's this chicken and it's, it's mad at me because I'm giving too much attention to another chicken. So it's coming up and like giving me this little peck. And you can just really tell that people were putting two to two, two and two together about, just what um, what rich lives these animals actually have, right? Intelligence and personality and 
and feeling and all these sort of traits that we like to ascribe to certain animals and not to others. You could see the light bulbs kind of kind of going off, reading through the transcripts and listening to the interviews. That's something that I always forget myself is that there's definitely, while there is a piece of activism which is making new vegans, equally important and perhaps more important is creating a world where it's easy and possible to continue being vegan. So John, you've been vegan for ever. (laughs) How have you, how does this relate to your own personal vegan journey or experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been vegan for four, 14 and a half years now and meat-free for wow. 26. So, yeah, I mean, like, I, I've i been through a lot of stages with it. But, yeah, I think what you're doing is amazing. And I just, I love that you, I've said this before, how you're so uh, matter-of-fact about these things. and And I love that, like, you... Uh, are talking about like the sanctuaries and like communicating with animals and seeing how they interact and they all have their own personalities and stuff. And it's so true. I've been to several uh, local uh, sanctuaries and yeah, they all have their own personalities and you, you make that connection, you know, you see that they, they have feelings and like, you can tell like there's something going on there and they're not just, dull boring animals like you said um yeah they're just they're amazing and we don't give them enough credit <laughs> yeah 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 i think a big part of farmed animal sanctuaries is that je ne sais quoi of it that is just the pure emotional experience that you really most people can't put a dollar sign on what it feels like to pet a cow or how yeah. much does how much yeah. should it cost to save that chicken kind of things but your yeah. study and your research does find a way to put numbers and help people gauge effectiveness of advocacy and look at different and have just different ways of looking at what we do as vegan activists. So really taking that warm and fuzzy feeling and converting it over to the more statistical number side of things, which I personally love, as demonstrated by the insane spreadsheet and numbers I sent over the other day. <laughs> People know I'm always looking to try and be the most efficient as possible in our advocacy. I am always the devil's advocate at our board meetings for anyone who's (laughs) never been to an animal advocate's board meeting. So (laughs) what I did was I took your study and I took the percentage of new vegans it creates. And I realized that now that I start thinking more about the retention of vegans, that's an equally important thing, not to mention the more digital, indirect advocacy that farm sanctuary may do but just looking at the number of new vegans made through the farmed animal sanctuaries and then i took your other study that we talked about with dr joe that talked about the number of animals killed per year by an individual for certain types of food and i cross-referenced those numbers and i took the uh, operating budget for farm sanctuary and i divided the number of animals saved a year by farm sanctuary tours by people who go on these tours and divide it by and divide their operating budget by that number and came out to about $200 per animal saved. And I realized that this is probably just my capitalism background talking that I feel the need to assign dollar sign values to everything we do and own just to make it frame it within the capitalist world. But in terms of how that relates to different kinds of advocacy or vegan or otherwise, what are your thoughts on that? And should we be critical of the dollar sign behind the forms of activism we do? Or should we trust more with our gut and the warm and fuzzies that we were just talking about instead? 
<laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot there. So I, I think that those kinds of comparisons can potentially be useful. I think that an over-reliance on them can also be problematic. It's tempting to want to do that. And I don't know that it's necessarily just a capitalist perspective, but like it's a sort of effective altruism approach as well of what's the most good we can do per input, whether that's dollar spent or hour of, of time spent, right? But there's a, there's a lot of variables that go go into things. I would expect that even... You know, comparing across farm sanctuaries, you might find slightly different results, right? In terms of what percent of people made a change afterwards, and and that relates to things around you know different messages being said, maybe different tour guides are more or less effective, those types of things. And it's it's tempting to want to pit them against each other, but I think too that we should recognize, and and as you said that certain things are going to resonate with certain types of people. So what works for one person may not be what tips the scales for somebody else. And I think, too, certain things would work for people at different stages of, of their journey, right? So an argument that might make a whole heck of a lot of sense to you today that really you know takes you the next step might not have meant really anything to you at all five years ago when you didn't have that sort of foundation and, and background. So... I think the the research, the hard-nosed research on it is still really in its infancy where it's really honestly quite difficult to compare across different approaches to advocacy. Like I say, the messages might change. So if you wanted to say compare, well, how does the dollar value of a leaflet compare to the dollar value of going to farm sanctuary compared to uh, a billboard, right? And so you could say, okay, well, let's, let's check using even if we use the same measures for all three let's ask them before and then catch up with them three months later we still have things like well what's on the leaflet like what what messages are being presented there who's handing out the leaflet what's on the billboard do people read the leaflet how long did they spend at farm sanctuary versus reading the leaflet right so there's there are all these things that that need to be considered and and we're in the infancy of getting into that with with your analyses, like the the number crunching you did, um, definitely interesting way to look at it. I think there's there are a few sort of just off the top of my head things. I didn't have time to go too deep into it. Um, and Joe is our our expert on impact evaluation kind of stuff. But um, as you say, it, it doesn't really catch the 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 already vegetarian or vegan people who just sort of held pat where they were. But it helped support them in where they were. Um, I'm not sure if you looked at people who flipped to, to vegetarianism or just those who went all the way to veganism. And I think, too, when looking at dollar value, another thing that's probably worth mentioning here is that when we ask people, like, okay, why did you show up? And like I say, you definitely have more vegetarians and vegans showing up on the farm in the first place. But you also have the sort of casual people who are just looking for something to do on a Sunday, right? And Oh, I lived in the area for a while. I've seen the signs. Just thought we'd swing by, kind of thing. Or it was really important to this other person, and so some of the money coming into Farm Sanctuary wouldn't have come into the animal uh, welfare, the animal advocacy movement. Otherwise, right? You have people who wouldn't donate what they what they spent on the farm to an animal cause, right? They're they're more casual. Or maybe they would just donate to companion animal, animals, but not farmed animals. It's not 
something that they they felt passionate about before they got there. So I think that needs to be sort of factored in as well. And people could give, so in the survey, we actually asked, you know, what are your reasons for coming today? And people could choose more than one, but a quarter of people said that they were there because there was somebody else who wanted to go. And 21% said it was, it was something to do in the area. So I think the, the sort of casual person dropping by who wouldn't donate otherwise, but now they have given us some money and we've had a chance to talk to them for a few hours and give them this, this really powerful experience and knowledge. And like you say, the, the social media stuff too. So I, I think there's a lot going on. Farm Sanctuary certainly does things off the farm as well. And the tours are one part of what they do on the farm, but they do other things on the farm too. So yeah, I, I would say that, uh, that we're still sort of in our infancy. And that's why I think getting the, the, the double-pronged approach of getting the numbers and also hearing from people is extremely valuable, right? Where numbers are great, but sometimes that, that, um, that story from somebody really helps turn the light bulb on to something that you hadn't considered yourself. And honestly, I hadn't really thought about the rejuvenation aspect as much as, as people mentioned it after, after having been there. So yeah, definitely a, a complex question and a worthwhile question, um, but not something I can fully answer at this point. I think we're probably 10 years down the road for that one. Yeah, I know people pay giant think tanks lots and lots and lots and lots of money to measure impact of things. And it's not just Joe Kirkner, a glass of bourbon, and an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> that can measure it fully. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. I can't believe we're almost a half an hour already for this episode. So before we move on to the next study, do you have any last thoughts or stories you'd like to share about this particular study? I'm, I'm actually kind of jealous of Joe because she got to go and like actually do the tour and hear it and see the video that they present to people and really get to talk to people one-on-one. I, I really honestly, um, my favorite part of, of working on the study was, was listening through the interviews because uh, I was the one who ended up coding them for the, for the qualitative analyses. Um, and just, yeah, hearing people and talking about their experiences and laughing and especially, you know, you, you got every now and then you'd have this sort of gruff partner or father kind of figure who is like, well, you know, like I'm just, kind of here but like wow and like you know and just to hear them i think you know one of them shared a story about when they're talking about the the pigs and how they just like laying around he's like that was what did it for me it's like man like they're just so human like i would just lay around all day if i could like i totally get where a pig is coming from right and, you know and taking those cautious steps and thinking about what he could do to, to change diets and those kinds of things that i i don't think he was necessarily expecting when he showed up again, I'm editorializing. That wasn't necessarily something that was discussed, but you could definitely hear the the, the wheel spinning. Um, so I thought that was really great. Planting seeds every day, right, gang? <laughs> that's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so that's all for this study. Make sure you tune in next week to hear about the next study. And if you have any questions in the meantime, we won't be able to get to them next week because we're recording that episode right now. But we will answer your questions in a timely manner at some point at speakindpodcast at gmail.com. So thanks for listening, everyone, and see you all next week. Three, two, one. Meow, meow, meow. 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 Meow, meow, meow.